0: Welcome to the ShiFi Podcast. I'm Sarah. In this episode, I sit down with I.R. Harris. She's a visual artist and fantasy writer, author of the Bound trilogy, the Legion series, and lots of other great stuff. And without uh, further ado, I.R. Harris. So, yeah. um, One of the things that I thought was really interesting about what you're doing is you have an MA in Peace Conflict. And sustainable development, is that right?
1: I do. <laughs> That's awesome. So how does that play
0: into your work? That's very
1: good. Cool. Uh, it's really, it's a, it's a fascinating little riff on my crazy life, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I did not go to school for creative writing, or I'm also a visual cool. artist, and I, I didn't go to school for either of those things. I was a major in international law, and international political systems and then went to get my master's degree over in Ireland and oh, Northern Ireland uh, in international peace and conflict resolution and sustainable development and then started a PhD in economic anthropology. So I'm pretty far removed from the quote-unquote formal training <laughs> that, um, you know, writers or artists, you know, people who go to art school or writing school, I uh, would have <laughs> and I came to it In a very, uh, I think, combustible way, (laughs) if you will, which I think is really the beauty of art. I think that's when it touches you the most is sometimes those devastating moments yeah. and it's when art has the most impact or, or can have the most impact on somebody's life. Um, I finished my master's degree and was really excited and had, you know, a, a once in a lifetime experience to live overseas and yeah. to, to travel to a country that had dealt with, you know, conflict issues that were very still very fresh and very recent and managed to facilitate a peace process that yeah. was, the formulation of this MS, the, the master's program, it came out of the Irish Peace Accords, wow. the Northern Irish Peace Accords. Wow, so great. I was very lucky <laughs> to be part of a program that was spawned out of a peace process from decades and decades worth of terrible, terrible violence and marginalization. Um, And that definitely gives you a different perspective on your own country (laughs) and uh, other people uh, who live in in countries that experience conflict. Um, And I thought I was going to go ahead and go on and, and do a Ph.D. in anthropology, because That's what everybody expected me to do. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been doing that my whole life. I've been following a a very polished script for myself based on some incredibly strict perceptions of what kind of human being I should be. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, there comes a time where that comes in direct conflict with who you really are. And you have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. You know, you can choose the path that other people have presented to you and have said this is the only way Mm -hmm. you can make a contribution because this is what I think is the only way you can make a contribution. Or you can make a choice, the harder choice, to diverge from that set path and realize that you have a contribution to make in your own way that's just as significant and just as valuable as what other people have charted for you in the past yeah, exactly. and so I made a choice to leave a PhD program that I come into and was doing really well and it was a great program uh it just wasn't me <laughs> it made me sad And I am not a sad person. I had spent my life being a very sad person. I I come out of a a life of a lot of violence and a lot of trauma, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of severe emotional abuse, uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse. And I had spent my life clawing and scratching to be where I was at that time. And I didn't feel I was honoring her very Mm -hmm. well. By continuing on with a path that made me sick to my stomach. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I was going to (laughs) do. I left the program. Uh, My husband was getting his Ph.D. And I left the program. Not having any idea what was going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This had been my whole life was building to this moment of getting a doctorate. It was bad, or my father expected me to be the UN Secretary General. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Wow. Uh, and so that was my whole life. That was everything. My whole identity was wrapped up in being a scholar. Yeah. because that's who I was mm-hmm. um, it was scholarship and research and development work in, in foreign countries and uh, when you cut that string yeah. you have a moment of I don't know who I am without this mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because be that's better.
1: all I felt I was wow. I didn't feel like I had anything else to offer the mm-hmm. world
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then I started to write
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it just came out. <laughs> Everything just came out, and it was a catharsis for the moment in time. And I didn't expect anything to happen after that. I just sort of wrote. Couldn't believe I had written anything. Mm-hmm. My mother was a, is a creative writing teacher, and okay. she taught creative writing. She taught she taught it in Spanish and Italian, and um, she she was very creative. She's a very creative person, but never did anything with it. Mm-hmm. So maybe in some way that's where it came from, but I'd never written a novel before in my life. Mm -hmm. And one novel went to two to three and you know, in four years I have 10. And so Mm -hmm. it, um, it just became that moment where you go, this is me.
0: Yeah.
1: This is who I am. Mm -hmm. This is what's been waiting for me. I don't know what it means or what I can do with it, but It's what, this wonderful book that I read, The Alchemist, has this wonderful uh, phrase saying, you you know, you have to find your personal legend. Mm, That's what your journey is, is to find your personal legend. And when you want to give up, that's when you're this close to realizing that's where you need to be. And for me, that's what happened. (laughs) Sorry, that was a really long explanation. (laughs)
0: I love that though, that's such a great story, like that's a really powerful story, and I definitely, I definitely relate, like for a long time, I always knew that I wanted to do sort of something with writing, and I enjoyed, I loved it always, but I always felt like, well you need to take like this, find a clearly defined career path where I can do that, and so, I mean going back even to like high school, I was thinking, well it has to be journalism, And so I got my bachelor's in political science that I was planning to, like, apply to journalism. And that was the path that I was on. When I started going down that path professionally, and there was just, I just didn't like it. And then I didn't know what I wanted to do for a long time. And then I really (laughs) thought, like, well, I've loved all of this stuff, like sci-fi and creative writing. I've loved all of this forever. Like, I need to do something with it. That's who I really am. And it is like you find that moment where you just have to acknowledge who you authentically are. <laughs> yes. And I think that is the moment
1: that most people ignore mm-hmm. when it presents itself to them. <laughs> um, and it's not through any fault of their own. It's just that it gets very easy to stay with the status quo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it becomes very easy, just like anything that is, that is a habit of ours. Um, even status quo within yourself. You know, it's very difficult to see yourself outside of what you're currently doing because you've been doing what you've been doing for so long yeah. that it's like, well, this must be who I am or this yeah. must be all that I am. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people who, who come to panels and ask and say, well, you know, um, I just, I can't, I can't be a writer because I didn't go to school. I don't have the money mm-hmm. to go to school to be a writer. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, hey, okay, you know, let's let's backtrack here for a second. First firstly, you don't need you don't need to. It's great if you can. That's yeah. lovely if you can do that. If you have the resources, the support system, the time, you're not working three or four jobs, you don't have kids that you, that depend on you. It's great if you would love to join a creative writing program and get in and that's wonderful. Perfect. But if that's mm-hmm. not part of your what you can do, you're still a writer. You can yeah. still be a writer. Yeah. What you have to do is find the thing that speaks to you and then tell a story.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, mm-hmm. um, you, we can teach you the grammar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's really the very least thing that you have to do. Yeah. Um, the bigger issue at hand is actually being brave enough to give yourself that yeah. voice find value in that voice, yeah. realize that it has just as much place in the world as somebody who went to, to school for writing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're on equal footing. It it doesn't it doesn't make one person more worthy of telling their story yeah, than someone else. True. And that's sort of my my mission in life <laughs> is to <laughs> is to remind people not to get in their own way. Yeah. Because of their circumstances. Yeah. You know? Um there, there's an issue of privilege in this world when it comes yes. to the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's historically been very, very white, privileged people who are able to get education, people who are able to pay for education. The seven most, I think, expensive schools in this country are art schools. Wow. And, you know, cool. it would be very difficult for most of us to afford to get that kind of educational training. Yeah. Does it mean your artistic voice is should be valued less? Absolutely not. (laughs) If anything, we need that voice more.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Because it's not coming through uh, necessarily a templative institution, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's adding some diversity.
0: And that's good.
1: We want all of those things mixed in together. We want people who went to school. We want the people who didn't go to school. We want the people who are still in school, (laughs) you know, and have no idea what the hell they're doing. We want it all mixed in together so that people have something to find their representation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I was just um, listening to an interview with Neil Gaiman where he was talking about how he didn't go to school for creative writing. Like he just learned to write by yeah. like trial and error and talking yeah. to other writers. And <laughs> I kind of feel like I don't know. Like maybe if he had gone to school, like so much of the stuff that he did with Sandman, like no one was doing with comics back then. And if he had had it like drilled into him, like this is how you a <laughs> comic. We That's a very good Sandman. point it's a very good point
1: and I think you know a lot of visual artists say that too I do a lot of work at visual art and I notice that a lot of visual artists who come through a formal program um they say gosh you know I'm kind of like boxed in to mm-hmm. what I was taught it doesn't mean they can't break out of it but it's just there's a very specific way to go about doing things yeah. and sometimes they say hey if I hadn't had this I might be a little bit more freeform, you know. Again, doesn't mean you can't get there. Yeah. But you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. We wouldn't have the Sandman that we have. Yeah. If, yes. If he, we just wouldn't because there are things that they would, that a, that a creative writing teacher would have taken a red pencil to mm-hmm. in that book and said, what the hell is this? Yeah. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing with uh, Tolkien. You yeah. know, you, you didn't go around editing Tolkien, um, <laughs> you know. And a creative writing teacher today would have taken a look at, at some of those three or four hundred pages of nothing happening and said, dude, you got to cut this out. Like, nobody's going to read this. This is terrible. Um, It's not the Lord of the Rings without those 300 pages of nothing. Yeah. It's, you know? um, it's just we wouldn't have had the Lord of the Rings if somebody had taken the red pencil to that and said no we're going to take out these 300 pages you know again we need it all mm-hmm. it's it's important What is what matters to me more though is that people don't people don't prevent themselves from telling their story because they think they need a certain level of education or experience in order to do that. Yeah. That's what I don't want, mm-hmm. you know, because there are a lot of people out there. I, I, Over the course of one Comic-Con weekend, I meet thousands and thousands and thousands of people, mm-hmm. and there are people who come to my booth who are way more interesting than I am <laughs> and have oodles more talent than I am. But you know what? They're also working three or four jobs and they have children that require their help or they're single dads. Um, their voice needs representation in the marketplace. Yeah. And that's my modality.
0: Um, so what are some of your favorite, as, as a sort of fantasy writer, some of your favorite... Uh fantasy, either novels or movies, um, and yes. how did you kind of get into the genre? Okay, well, let me, let me practice this by
1: saying, as an artist, uh, I have a very uh, peculiar process, but I think that a lot of artists do this, so when I'm actively writing, which I currently have been for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. um, I will not read anything remotely close to my genre, I will not, I just won't, I won't do it. Um, It's not because I'm not trying to be engaged, but for me as a writer, it is of the utmost importance that the story that I tell is as authentically mine as I can make it. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, as writers, we all pull from a collective well. I mean, particularly when it comes to fantasy. There are only so many things you can write about vampires, (laughs) werewolves, demons, witches. You know, I mean, seriously. And that's great. There's a collective well that we are all pulling from. It's wonderful. But... For somebody like me, I am a sponge. Mm -hmm. So if I have anything going on that's remotely close to something that I'm writing, it will find its way into my novel. (laughs) And I am not okay with that. Like that doesn't seem fair to to me or to my readers. Mm -hmm. So I I usually abstain. But I'll tell you, I I haven't been reading anything in in fantasy and sci-fi. I have been watching some things. So Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'm a huge fan of the being humans, uh, the one that they redid on Sci-Fi, and then the British version—completely mm-hmm. um, different uh, kind of uh, takes on the, the, the whole show—and mm-hmm. I like them for different reasons. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the American one. I know the British people will all slay me with that, but <laughs> I enjoyed the American one. I thought it was just—it had its own wit and charm and darkness to it uh, that I didn't get from the British one. But I love that show. Hands down. I'm a huge, huge fan, and people are going to laugh, but that's okay. I'm a huge fan of the writing on Lost Girl, uh, mostly because of the representation that's included in that series uh, and the way that they approach the representation. Now, they needed a little bit more with minority representation. I will ding them on that. But in terms of the way that being an LGBT character it wasn't. It wasn't even mentioned. <laughs> it was just accepted as this is what this is what the character is, and we're not going to shine a spotlight on it, saying, "Hey, she's bisexual. She's bisexual." Mm-hmm. Um, it was just she's a human being first. Yeah. And that's the only thing you should be paying attention to. Yeah. Um, and so I congratulate them on the writing. Michelle Lavretta is an excellent writer. Um, it's a funny, quirky, weird Canadian show. And it's got some <laughs> cheesy factors to it. Uh, but in terms of representation and the way women are presented in that work, love the show. think it's great. Um, I'm a huge fan of Orphan Black. Yes. love Orphan That's Black. Right. Love, love, love Orphan <laughs> Black. Um, absolutely. I can watch that all the time. Uh, a huge fan of Vikings. <laughs> um, you can have your Game of Thrones. I don't like, I'm not a fan, so I'm a, I'm a Vikings girl. <laughs> not so much sci-fi, I guess, but um, it, it. I love Vikings. It's got elements yeah. of sci-fi in there. It's got some fantasy elements. Um, those are the things I'm currently sampling. And then I did get on a Buffy kick a couple of weeks ago, yeah. but I have to be careful because Buffy's writing is writing that I value so much mm-hmm. that it makes me cry. Joss Whedon is just such a compelling writer. I just bow down to Joss Whedon. So I have to be careful that I'm not currently typing on my own story because his awesomeness will filter in and it will not be as awesome as with Uh There's just no way. It will not be nearly as profound or prolific. So I have to turn that down a little bit, but that's that's currently where I am. Again, I have to be really careful, just because I am currently writing a novel, and it's a, it's a crucial novel, and I have to get this damn thing done. <laughs> and so I I just zone out all of the stuff that's in my genre. So that's probably disappointing, and I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> no, but that's it's a really good idea. I feel like I I run into the same thing. Like I'll be writing, and I'm like, no, that was just in like. This Doctor Who episode that I just watched last night. Like, I can't... (laughs) Yes. Yes. And now I'm writing Doctor episode instead of my doctor <laughs> Well,
1: It's and I think you know it's natural that it happens. And again, like you're going to find bits and pieces of that stuff. I think in everybody's writing. I mean, if you if you love Anne Rice, if you love Joss Whedon, if you follow those writers, uh, if you love Neil, you know, yes. you know, you're going to have some of those influences. It's fine. I'll give you a little anecdote about why I decided to do this, though. <laughs> so I was writing uh, one of the series that I'm currently working on and I was in the process of moving and so I had on in the background a marathon of true blood mm-hmm. it was on tv mm-hmm. so I was like oh yeah I gotta get into this like the first few seasons were really good and so I'm writing and moving and true blood is on in the background so I finished the novel and I send it to one of my beta readers mm-hmm. and she calls me out and she said, Rena, this is really great. I, I'm really excited. And I'm like, oh, good. So, turned, you know, you like it? And she's like, yeah. She's asking I a quick question for you. And I was like, sure. You know, anything. Love the feedback. And she said, were you, by chance, watching season five of True Blood? <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and she's just curious because it pretty much sounds like season five of True Blood. I'm just going to put it out here. You, it's great. It's good stuff. It's, she was very positive, very, very wonderful. She she may just want to go back and reread it. And let you me know what you think. And I was like, what the hell? There is no way this thing is a True Blood. Like a whole season of True Blood is in my book. Sure enough. She was not wrong, and it was like scarily like it was insane. And so I said, "That's it. I'm.
0: I'm
1: I can't be the other. I True Blood. There's only one True Blood. Mm-hmm. I cannot try and be another. This. What is this? And it was horrible. I don't. She was being way too nice. <laughs> it was terrible. So it was like at that moment that I decided, oh, I'm. I funnel too much. And people are gonna call me on that and be like, what is she doing? Yeah, not nearly as cool. So I decided to put the throw the hammer down on that. Yeah after she's very nice. <laughs> she could have said this sucked. What the hell were you thinking? But and she says no, it's really good. It's just season five of True Blood. <laughs> I thought, okay, we'll try something else, not a problem. So I had to end up rewriting the entire book.
0: Oh no.
1: Yeah. So you know, but that's
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> Live and yeah, <in> learn. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: <laughs> that's fine. I'm better for it, yes. <laughs>
0: um, so as a writer and an artist, um, how does your writing sort of influence your art, or vice versa? Yeah, so my visual art, that's a great, that's a
1: beautiful question. Uh, mm-hmm. My visual art, I use as a step back from the writing. Mm-hmm. So my writing, uh, for me, takes me to really, really dark, emotional places. I'm not a happy writer. <laughs> uh, my novels aren't happy novels. Um, they're, they have a lot of my sarcasm <laughs> in there, and my very dry sense of humor. But, on the whole, they are incredibly dark. Mm-hmm. and sad. Um, and my, my visual art is exactly the opposite. <laughs> I use a lot of bright colors. I love uh, textures. Yeah, I love collage. <laughs> I do digital new media stuff. And so um, I, I do photo artistry. And I, I always try and look for ways to amplify color and light. And so it is in exact juxtaposition to what I write. Mm-hmm. And so I try to use that as a meditation mm-hmm. away from the writing sometimes when I just need to take a deep breath. That's, mm-hmm. It's my deep breath from mm-hmm. the writing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's really that's how I would start it. So I noticed on your site that you said you're kind of influenced by guerrilla art. And anti-art. Um, so what does that sort of mean for you? So I for me that I love that's a that's
1: a great question because it, it allows me to uh, address you know artists who are grassroots mm-hmm. and who are working from sort of the bottom up to make an impact and I think it gets back circular, again, to the self-taught artists, the, mm-hmm. the people who are sort of finding their own vision and their own voice through lots of experimentation, but also through things that they see in the world mm-hmm. that are impacting them in a way that, you know, maybe, you know, they didn't go to school for peace and development studies, mm-hmm. you know, but they're street artists and they have something to say. And the way that they communicate that is, you know, by a mural or a pay mm-hmm. Um And for me, that has such cultural impact particularly in a community Mm -hmm. and if it's a community that is you know marginalized already to have street artists who are working from the grassroots and are saying this is a matter that needs attention uh, without a textbook in front of them Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know they're using the wall as representation for issues that are important to them and for me that makes a huge impact on my life as a, as both a visual artist, but also as a writer, because as a writer, my books are a pulpit for me, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's subtle, unless you, unless you meet me and then I'll tell you exactly what my, my MO is, but, um, I, I use the writing as a means to communicate, uh, a subtext of issues that are important to me and people who are doing guerrilla art and, and art that kind of goes against the established art community yeah. are using that as their platform to speak yeah. out against issues that they feel aren't talked about you know or, or that are talked about in a very specific way yeah. <laughs> where, where there's groups that are left out of the conversation yeah, sure. and so you're not getting the whole issue you're getting a very specific version of the issue yeah. and so street artists now I, I'm referring to street artists, not like people who are gang tagging. (laughs) I mean, that's, I'm sure that's its own artwork in its own way. And I'm sure there's an anthropologist out there who has done work on that, but, but real street artists who are actually Mm -hmm. using their artwork to to make a statement, not people who are trying to invoke violence because they're in a gang. (laughs) You know, for me, that represents a platform that has a lot of impact, and it's impact that is not traditional. Mm-hmm. And I think it's those non traditional ways that tend to get people's attention the most. Yeah. You know, or mm-hmm. they has it has the potential, I should say, mm-hmm. to get people's attention the most. I mean, you walk down the street, and you know, most of us don't even notice the wall, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. particularly if you're in an urban area. But there are a lot of street artists who are working to make. You pay attention. You know, we're all on our phones, mm-hmm. and we're, we look down constantly. Yeah. Uh, and you miss <laughs> yeah. a lot of what's being said mm-hmm. around you. And I think there's a group of street artists that are working to sort of counter that. And I like that. that. That really makes me feel inspired. I can't draw, so I will never be... A fully fledged street artist, <laughs> but I try to I try to pay homage to their work in my visual art, mm-hmm. but also through using my books as a platform for the messages that I try to convey to my readers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I try to blend them in both ways.
0: I yeah. probably do a terrible
1: job of that, but I try.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I think it's true. More sort of traditional art is it's kind of expected or we kind of like or the the message that we get is in some ways more expected but this sort of more street art or guerrilla art or something kind of like has the potential to take you by surprise and a different. Yes,
1: way. it does, and I'm I'm a huge fan of revolutionaries. <laughs> <laughs> I I love the concept of of art being a revolution and mm-hmm. and sort of standing in for um, a place of of people who are looking to to revolutionize something for the better. And, you know, I just feel art has the capacity to do that in all its forms because revolutionaries will outlast dictators mm-hmm. any day of the week. Yeah. You know, the revolutionaries are the ones who are going to stay standing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, art is, is there for the long haul. It's there and it makes that impact and it influences you, even if it's, even if it's like performance art and it's gone the next day. Yeah. Um, if you've seen it, you've been touched by it. Yeah. and so that is you know it's no longer ephemeral right it's yeah. part of you mm-hmm. and art has the capacity to revolutionize people to mobilize people yeah. to give people hope and I just want to be a part of that in any way mm-hmm. and you know any capacity that I can I can think of
0: <laughs> um, I love that <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, so one of the things I was reading on I I think it was on your site or on your Twitter, maybe, Um, is that at cons, you kind of, um, like, try to pay it forward by sort of featuring the work of other indie artists at your booths. Yes. Um, So why is that something that's important to you?
1: Yes, I, you know, here's the thing. None of us get where we are by ourselves. (laughs) You know, I don't care how independent you are. (laughs) Um, There has been somebody out there who has at least given you a hug on a day where you have felt like crap. And so, (laughs) none of us get where we're going by ourselves. And for me as an artist, It is of the utmost importance for me to offer a place at my very humble crazy little wonky table mm-hmm. for artists who may not be in a position to do that themselves just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I mean we're my husband's a teacher, I'm an artist, we do not make any money. <laughs> you know, so we, you know, we have straight together, we plan events and we try to pick the events that make the most difference to us. And so for me it's a very small way to allow someone to have representation that wouldn't ordinarily be represented because maybe they can't do it at that time and so if that's something I can offer if I can offer space for cards or comics or zines small little things that they've produced themselves Mm -hmm. that they can't get down there to sell or to talk about then I'm happy to be a microphone Mm -hmm. for them Um, I love love people I love celebrating uh, I like celebrating other people's work more than my own (laughs) (laughs) I'll talk about my work and I'm happy to do that but I get really excited about the work other people do yeah. <laughs> you know because it's just adding more narrative yeah to bookshelf it's yeah. adding more opportunity for other people to see themselves represented mm-hmm. and that is so vital to me yeah. and so if there are groups of artists who can't afford a booth at a comic-con but boy do they have something to say then I am more than happy to take their stash with me and let everybody know that these people exist and you should you should follow them or give them your support because artists can't do what we do without support from the public. It just doesn't work. It's difficult. I mean, I guess you can, but it makes it hard. <laughs> yeah, so representing other artists and, and at least giving them time or space or even a discussion that I can offer for for my fans who come and want to know other other authors that they should read. I'm more I'm, I'm excited to tell them, hey, if, you, if my stuff doesn't do it for you, that's okay. I have other I have people that might it might work for you. You know, um, there's 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 something for everybody. You know, not everybody likes my shit. That's okay. <laughs> you know, um, but I bet I can find you somebody that you do like. Yeah. Because there's a lot, a lot of voices on offer, so that's yeah. why I did it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and it's really important. Yeah, I thought so. Kind of I don't know. Other authors tend to laugh at me when I do
1: stuff like that because they yeah. think it's taking away from profit, and I just laugh and go, "Why? Well, I don't know how much money you people are making, but you know, it, yeah. trust me, it's not taken away from profit. <laughs> and even if it did, seriously, Sarah." I think the bigger picture is supporting one another. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I think, right. even I think with... that that's hard enough mm-hmm. in the world to find that compassion and that empathy between people that even if it did take away money from, which it doesn't, but even if it did take away money from, or, or publicity from mm-hmm. my particular uh, booth. That's not what it's about. You know, I need people to support me, too. And so I can only hope that that, that's paid forward in in other ways and other experiences. And it has been. You know, I'm proof of that. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
0: That's great. (laughs) Thanks. Um. So, are you gonna be at any um, any upcoming cons? We'll be down at the North, the South Carolina
1: Comic Con in Greenville, South Carolina, which is a fantastic event. It's huge, mm-hmm. put on by the local comic book shop, Borderlands Comics, and it's run by a husband and wife team. Super community supportive. Yeah. They love independent artists. Mm. So that's a huge thing for me. Um, yes. They support all of us grassroots artists who are doing it ourselves. You know, uh, <laughs> those who are producing zines in their basement. <laughs> you know, um, they want those kinds of artists to be represented and have space right next to the people from DC and Marvel, that's which awesome. is where we all belong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, at South Carolina Comic Con is very, very inclusive. Like that, they find, a, they, they believe that that people. Like Myself belong right alongside the, the artists from DC and Marvel. Um, now, it, you know, am I on that caliber? Hell, no. But you know, one day maybe yeah. uh, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. But it's great to be able to exist and and have a voice in the same space as people who are doing that. And so, yeah. it's a it's a great organization to participate in. And so I'm very excited. Sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> we love them. And then we'll be doing our second Zine Fest, which I'm new to zines. Mm-hmm. Um, I love them. And I love the people who do zines, just for any of your readers out there, whoever's doing a zine, Mm -hmm. mad props to you guys, because a lot of these people are doing them from their, literally from their basements or their dorm rooms. Mm -hmm. And they are, you know, really politically topical and culturally relevant, (laughs) particularly (laughs) now more than Mm -hmm. ever. And so I'm coming back to do a second zine fest. So, because I'm such a fan, rather than me selling my crazy work, I don't even care about that. <laughs> I'm really excited to see these people who are who are contributing uh, by making their own zines and and telling a story and writing articles and sort of being these very investigative narrators that we're losing (laughs) (laughs) we're losing that uh, for various reasons and we need need to support them and so we'll be doing a zine fest here that's in my, it's close to Asheville North Carolina and so it's a very art art town very um very supportive of the arts and so I'm very excited to do that so we have a we have a list of stuff going on but I'm excited for the zines
0: yeah (laughs) that sounds exciting and thank you for this
1: wonderful opportunity
0: oh yeah you too thanks for taking the time to chat so excited yes you just take good care
1: of yourself and you know where to find me if you need anything oh you too Uh, okay honey (laughs) 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 we'll talk to you soon yeah (laughs) Okay.
0: Bye. Bye. A big thank you to Ir Harris. Um, If you're able to make it, be sure to check her out at the South Carolina Comic Con, March 25th and 26th, uh, the Asheville Zine Fest, May 7th, and the Americana Burlesque and Sideshow Festival, May 26th through 28th. Uh, you can also check her out on Twitter at IRHarrisBooks and uh, on her site, IRHarrisBooks.com. Uh, also, be sure to check us out at SheFi, that's She-Fi.com. On Twitter, at She underscore Fi. And on Instagram, we're at show all one word. And we're also on Facebook. Um, yeah, thanks for listening and uh, tune in next time for the next episode of the SheFi Podcast.